joyful. Wow, two of you are joyful. That's a good thing. I am happy. This early in the morning, that's a good thing. How many of you are morning people? Come on, Corwin, get your hand up. I know that you get up in the morning. Yeah. How many of you hate getting up in the morning? Yeah, that's, I, I get with that group. Okay, that's good. So when they do this every year, it, it, you know, it kind of goes, oh, but you know you get the hour back in the fall. I just want to promise you that. At least I think you will because I think we voted recently that we were going to keep daylight savings time forever, didn't we? Didn't we do that about one or two times ago? Didn't we vote that we were going to have daylight savings time? Yeah, and then it had to go back to the state, and we haven't heard a thing since. Don't send it back to the state. How many of you? Um, how many of you have ever done this? You've done something you know you shouldn't have. You know you say, "Wow, that's sin. That's wrong. That's not something I should do." May have been the things you think about it. Maybe some deed that you do. Whatever it is, you do it, and you say, I'm not going to do that again. And you do it the next day. Any of you do that? Don't raise your hands. I don't need you to do that. Uh, we're going to talk about why that happens today. You know, I, I think that's a, that's a hard one. I know I struggle with that because I will have some issue that I'm dealing with, whatever it is, and I go, Lord, I don't want to do this again. I ask your forgiveness, and I know you. I, I confess to you, and you say that if I confess, I'm forgiven about the next day or so, I'm back where I was again. And I thought, man, Lord, why did I do that? Well, Paul said the same thing. He said, I do things that I don't want to do, and I, I really don't desire to do them, but it's because of the sin nature that's in me. And so we're going to talk about two, two natures that we have this morning. You know, last week we were talking about, in fact, the last several weeks, the fact that uh, Adam and Eve sinned, and the sin entered into the human race, and sin separates us from God. We can't have a relationship with him because of sin. And yet God in his love and his mercy provided a way for us to have a relationship. Uh, he sent his son Jesus to the cross. And Jesus died there to become the sacrifice for our sins. The Bible says without the shedding of blood there's no remission. There's no forgiveness. But it has to be the right sacrifice. Can't just be you or me. We don't have it together enough. We, we still have that sin nature in us. But Jesus didn't. And so he went to the cross, and in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, we looked at it last week, and it says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. We're not the same old person anymore. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so we become changed. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 6, it says, as we were bought with a price, we're no longer our own. Jesus purchased us. God purchased us with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So one thing that God wants us to do, and we, uh, we talked about this last week, is that as Christians, when we become Christians, it's as if we're incense. You remember he went to Nicodemus and he said, Nick, you've got to be born again. Born of the water, born of the spirit. They're both essential for eternal life. And it talks about the fact that we are infants. We desire the sincere milk of the word. We can't handle the heavy stuff yet. So we start out there. As, as children, but as spiritual children, it's kind of like our own kids. When a child is born, moms, you see them, and, and, and we'll see them. If, you, if you're on Facebook, they're showing their little babies, and oh, they're so cute. Uh, babies all look the same to me, but uh, you know, they're so cute. Things for moms, and, 
And then pretty soon you see them progressing and they're eating and they're smiling and they're laughing and then they're crawling and they're walking in this progression of growth. It's a natural thing. It doesn't matter whether uh, it's a human child or whether it's the puppy you buy or whether it's a seed you plant in the ground. There's expectation there will be growth. And in terms of our spiritual walk as Christians, there is expectation that we will grow as well. But sometimes Christians get stuck. They get stuck in infancy. Well, I just received Jesus Christ to forgive me for my sins. I didn't expect to do anything else. You know, I'm going to heaven. I, I, I admitted I'm a sinner. And they may or may not be Christians, depending on the sincerity of their relationship. Um, maybe they get stuck in adolescence. And there's kind of a, an arrogance, and I'm doing my thing, and uh, nobody's going to tell me what to do. And, you know, I'm, not all adolescents are that way, but sometimes we see that, and there's that, that conflict that goes on even within the family sometimes because of adolescence, and they get stuck there. But God expects us to grow. God expects us to mature in our spiritual life. And so growth is important, but the problem is that we have two natures in our Lives. There's the old nature and the new nature, and they are in conflict with one another. Your new nature encourages you to grow. When you became a Christian, instantly the Holy Spirit came into you. You were changed. You were transformed. You're not the same as you were before. But that old nature is still there, too. You really don't get rid of the old nature until you die physically, and the Spirit goes to be with the Lord, and the body's left here. And so there is that conflict that goes on between the old and the new. The new, old nature is all about that which is temporal, that which is worldly, that which is fleshly. And the spiritual nature is about that which is spiritual. It's about our relationship with God. And uh, I'm going to tell you, I don't know about you, but in my life they both want to control. And as a fact, so as a result of that, I struggle. I, I think of the old fleshly nature and... Uh, in, in New American Standard, it's called fleshly. Uh, back when I was a boy, coming out of the King James, it was carnal. You probably, some of you remember the, the carnal Christians. And that was a term that we had for those who weren't quite right with the Lord. And I, I remember talking to a pastor, and we were talking about how his church was doing. And he says, well, I struggle with some of these people who've been in the church a long time, who should be mature, and they have a lot of knowledge, and they're involved in ministry. <laughs> but he says, they're the carnal corral. And until we kind of move the carnal corral out of the way, we're going to struggle. And uh, that's, that's kind of the idea. So fleshly, carnal. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at a number of different passages. If you do not have a Bible you want to follow along, raise your hand, and David will make sure that you have one. Anybody need a Bible to follow along? If not, that's Okay. Uh, Romans chapter 7, we're going to be in chapter 7 and chapter 8 of Romans a, a few times, and I'm going to come back to this passage again later, but in Romans chapter 7, beginning in the 14th verse, it begins talking about these two natures, and I just want to read through the 21st verse. It says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh sold into bondage to sin. This is Paul talking. <laughs> This, this spiritual giant, he says, I am into bondage, sold, uh, but I am a flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I'm doing, I, I don't understand. For I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. 
But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but it's sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me. I, I, I know what I want to do. I know what's right. The willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I don't want, I'm no longer the one doing it. But it's sin that dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Boy, and I thought if Paul says that, uh, I, can, I can see that in my own nature. And uh, the Bible basically says when we are controlled by that old nature, that, that spiritual nature that is not of God, the old sinful nature, then what we really do is we kind of remain spiritual infants. We don't grow. We don't mature like we're supposed to. We're stunted in our spiritual walk. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 4. Let me read it to you. It says, and I, brethren, could not speak to you, here's Paul writing to them, I could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as men of flesh, as infants in Christ. He's talking to Christians. Corinth was a church, but they had not grown, many of them. They were very immature in their faith. He says, I could not speak to you as spiritual men, but, but as men of flesh, as infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. For you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not able, for you're still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and there is strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? I think it's interesting. He doesn't name a lot of immorality or some of the other things that we would think. He says, you just don't get along in the church. There's division and divisiveness in the body. He says, for one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos. Are you not mere men? It's the idea that we judge other Christians by what we think is right and wrong rather than necessarily what God says. Uh, and we judge people by what we think is acceptable and isn't acceptable. I remember in high school, I was in a, a Christian club in our high school. It was based on uh, Youth for Christ, Campus Life Today. And uh, there was a group of us from our church, and there was a group from another church, and they had some differences in theology, and we would sit and argue over which one was right. And it caused division. It caused divisiveness in there. It, it, it wasn't right because we got so caught up with our little picky things that we didn't really have the impact we should have had in our school. And the problem is we ignore the scripture. Back in Hebrews, the fifth chapter, Hebrews chapter 5, uh, verse 11 to 14. Hebrews 5, 11 to 14, it says, Concerning him we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. You aren't really listening. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you know, I, I just want to say longevity does not make you spiritual. 
I think sometimes we look at people and say, oh, they've been a Christian a long time. They must be very spiritual. And that is not the truth oftentimes if they are not growing. It says, by this time you ought to be teachers. You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of the milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So their lifestyle just simply did not show that they had that relationship with God. Uh, it was uh, an, an improper lifestyle. We see a little bit of that in the book of Colossians in the third chapter. It tells us what a, an improper lifestyle is like. It certainly tells us that in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. And in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, it says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. This is the, the immoral deeds, the improper deeds, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality. These are sexual sins, sensual sins, sins of the flesh. And uh, it's, it's amazing how they become acceptable within our nation. But not only in our nation, it seems like when things become acceptable in our culture, they soon become more acceptable in our churches. And we don't take the stands that we once would have. Uh, immorality, impurity, sensuality, there's idolatry, putting someone else before God, first commandment, sorcery. Enmity, strife, here it is, is division, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, no factions, envying, drunkenness, rousing, things like these, of which I forewarned you, just as I forewarned you that those who practice such things don't inherit the kingdom of God. But it's really saying these are the things that God says are wrong. These are the things of the immature believer, the person who has not grown. If you go back to Hebrews 12, what it says is that as a result of our sinful activities, we may even experience the discipline of God. He may come along and say, hey, you know, this isn't right, and he disciplines us as children. In fact, in Hebrews 12, verses 4 through 6, it says, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. You haven't taken this stand to where you've gone through some of the persecution. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are approved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. It means when you get out of fellowship, when you're not walking as he would have you to, and he scourges every son whom he receives. We see a little picture of that back in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you remember, this is where we oftentimes go when we're talking about the communion service, and they were coming together, and there was division and strife and enmity and those things that God is saying should not be true of the believer. And in the 30th verse of Hebrews 11, it says, because they weren't getting along, because of the division, because of the divisiveness, for this reason, many among you are weak and you're sick. 
and I'm going to change this word. It says a number are dead. They sleep. doesn't mean that God put you into a coma or put you into a deep sleep or whatever. It simply means that he took you out of this world. And, and I think there's a point where sometimes Christians vary so far from where God wants them to be that rather than allow them reach that point where they totally deny him, he just takes them home. He says there's a sin unto death. And that's really kind of what it's talking about there in the, in the latter part of the New Testament. And uh, I, I believe I've seen that. You know, we see where God has disciplined his children. David was disciplined because of his relationship with Bathsheba. He experienced that. And when we do that, we break fellowship. When we sin and our lives are out of right relationship, we don't lose our salvation. That's secure. Once you're a member of the family, it's secure. But fellowship's gone. First John chapter 3. Uh, the sixth verse is really what we're going to see, but I want to look at the first two verses first. First John 3, it says, uh, beginning in verse 1, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. And for this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know him. And then it says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared to us yet what we will be. But we know that when he appears, we're going to be like him because we will see him as he is. Now let's go down to verse 6 because this is kind of the opposite side. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. And I just want you to realize that as an immature believer, when people are walking away from God, and they're believers, but they don't follow him, that relationship is messed up. It's kind of like a parent and child who don't get along. And there may be division and divisiveness between them, and they hardly speak to each other anymore as the child has gotten older. And, and that's kind of the way it is with us and God, I, I, I look at Christians sometimes who, whose lifestyle depicts a, a lifestyle of the world and they may be down and depressed and struggling with issues and hardships in life and they wonder why, you know, and, and people aren't treating me right or whatever. And the reality is they just aren't where God wants them to be. And it's affecting how they feel and how they see themselves and what's important and what isn't important. And I really think that comes along with this whole issue of, of being out of fellowship with God. So we see the fleshly carnal Christian is depicted by those kinds of things, but the spiritual believer, on the other hand, sees uh, life in a different manner. A person who is walking according to the Spirit, Galatians 5 again in verse 16, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Oh, the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit in the, against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things you please. But the key is that we are to walk according to the principles of God's word. We are to walk according to the leadership and the direction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It makes a difference who we are. Pray, Paul was praying for the Colossian believers in Colossians chapter 1, and beginning in that ninth verse, 
He says, for this reason, since we, the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In other words, that new nature is going to dominate your life so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We're changed. We're transformed. When you received Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came into your life. You received a new nature. You were changed, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17. A new nature. A new man. And we're to see those things dominating our lives rather than the things of the world. Uh, we should have the ability to discern between right and wrong and, and what's acceptable and what isn't. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. Chapter 2, 14 through 16, it says, But the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They, they kind of push them aside for their foolishness to him. He can't understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. Or who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And so we're to be filled with the Spirit. We're to allow the Holy Spirit to control our lives when we are living by the, the new, new nature. Back in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 18, it says, therefore, be careful how you walk. You want to be spiritual? Be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, not as those who are dominated by the old nature, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So we need to be aware of that, that uh, how we live. We need to be aware of how we use our time. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then this is it, verse 18 do not be drunk with wine. Don't let somebody else or something else take control of your mind, take control of your heart, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a command, not an option. And it's the one thing it tells us we're to do with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does everything else. He comes into our lives. He's there. But it says we are to be filled with him. We're to open our lives up to allow him to come in and make a difference in us. And so there's that command, and you don't want to have anything else in there that will keep him from having that control. It's, it's the idea that the Holy Spirit is the one who directs our lives. So we see that there's a difference between our lives when we're controlled by the Holy Spirit versus being controlled, and, and we're a spiritual man being controlled otherwise. Uh, two natures. Here's your question. Which will control your life? It's great to know all about him. I'm going to look at a minute verse in a few minutes, and it says, uh, knowledge puffs up, makes us arrogant. You can know all about these things, but if it doesn't make a difference in who we are, then we've missed it. The Holy Spirit, if, we, if we're following him, he gives us things such as, as the uh, fruit of the Spirit. We begin to... Display that in our lives. Fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, 
How many people don't want love and joy and peace, patience and kindness? How many of you would like patience? I thought back to that one. That's a good one. Parents want patience, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Boy, there's a hard one sometimes. That's where Paul's talking about the fact that there's, he's got this division going on, this, this battle going on within him. He, he lacks the, the self-control. In Philippians chapter 4, you know, we know, uh, we know where it talks about uh, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God will heart, guard your hearts and your minds. That's, that's allowing the Holy Spirit to control. But down in verse 8 and 9 it says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute or reputation, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, uh, dwell on these things. The things he says you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Romans chapter 8 and 9, there's a comparison um, between the fleshly and the spiritual. Romans 8, uh, verse 8 and 9. It says, And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're walking by the flesh, you can't please God. However, you are not in the flesh, he said to those that he was writing to in Rome. You're not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. And if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. I want to read. I I read it a few moments ago, but I want to read from the New Living Translation uh, from the book of Romans. It just kind of opens it up a little better so... Uh, it's, it's a little more understandable for me. Uh, Romans chapter 7, verses 12 to 24, and it talks about my struggle with sin. It talks about the struggle that we have in going on in our lives. And it says, but how can that be? Actually, let's go back to verse 12. Verse 12, it says, but still the law itself is holy and it's right and good. But how can that be? Did the law, which is good, cause my doom? Oh, of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commandment for its own evil purposes. The law is good then. The trouble is not with the law, but it's with me. Because I'm sold into slavery with sin as my master. I don't understand myself at all. What I really want to do, what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. This is the question I asked to begin the message, wasn't it? I know perfectly well that what I am doing is wrong, and my bad conscience shows that I agree that the law is good, but I can't help myself because it's sin inside me that makes me do these evil things. Oh, I know I'm rotten through and through. So far as my old sinful nature is concerned, no matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, 
but I can't. And when I want to do good, I don't. And when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. But if I'm doing what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. The sin within me is doing it. It seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's word with all my heart. But there's another law at work within me that is at war with my mind. And this law wins the fight and makes me a slave to sin, and that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from the life that is dominated by sin? Thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. You see, the side that grows is the one you feed. It's what you focus on. It's what you take into your mind. It's what you take into your heart. If we're truly spending time with the Lord and in his word and we're applying it to our lives, then We should be displaying the fruit of the Spirit and the other fruit that is demonstrated in Scripture. But if we're not doing that, we don't display that fruit. In fact, we'll probably have all kinds of problems in our lives that we struggle with. And we'll wish that our lives would change the way we talk, the way we act, the attitudes that we sometimes have. Because you see, that old self is dominating us. The one that is going to do the best is the one that I feed. Eve was there at the tree, and the the serpent said to her, Did God really say that you can't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? And she says, No, we can't eat of it. We can't touch it. And he said, She said, We'll die. And and my paraphrase. And uh, Satan said to her, He says, Oh, you won't die. You won't die. And she looked at it, and she found that it looked good. It tasted good. It gave her greater intelligence and understanding. It made her wise, it says. You go back to 1 John chapter 2. It says the basis for our sin is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, seeing those things, want them, that which makes me feel good, and the boastful pride of life. And it's about my arrogance. And so just as Eve fell, so we can as well. Well, how do I feed the Spirit? How do I make a difference? Number one, I'm going to tell you today that it begins with your heart. It begins with your commitment. It begins with my heart. Lord, I want you to be first place in my life above everything else I want you to have the priority in my life. And I really believe that we have to develop that passion for Jesus Christ. It, it, it starts with a commitment to say, I want to be where you want me to be. I, I submit myself to do your will. I think of David. It says in David in the book of Acts that he was a man after God's own heart. And yeah, he sinned and he fell and he was disciplined. But he had the right heart. Do we have that heart? 
The second thing you need to do is, is study and take in the word of God. Second Timothy 2.15, it says, Study to show yourself approved to God, a man who does not be, need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. And so we begin to take in the word, and you can do that a couple of different ways. Number one is personal study. I think that's important. But it also says in Ephesians that God put certain individuals in the church, apostles and prophets and, and evangelists and pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the service that we might grow up into Christ. And I, and I really believe that God has placed individuals in the church who have the gift of teaching, the gift of prophecy, so that we learn from them as well. They teach because they've done the study. They come back and give it. Just be aware that sometimes when you get on TV or you get on the web, that you get someone who teaches correctly because there are those who are false prophets, and they pull us astray. They pull us away from where God wants us to be, and that's part of this whole thing that we're going through uh, the, so we want the application and study of God's word, and, and it, there should always be application. Uh, we were looking at that passage in Colossians a few moments ago, Colossians 1, where Paul was praying for their growth and their maturity. And uh, he says, For this reason we haven't ceased to pray for you, that you and, and ask that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in every respect, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So there is a, a matter of application. If it's all intellectual without not ever having any application, then it's probably not good study. It should change our lives. It should transform us. Uh, so we need to sit under that teaching that's right. The third one that I said is is prayer. Pray without ceasing. And I want to say something about prayer today. Prayer seeks God's will and not my own. How do you pray? Lord, this is what I want. This is what you should do. I've got these plans. Bless them. Or do you say, Lord, I've got these plans. Are they your will? It's like when Jesus went to the garden, he was going to be arrested shortly, and he went up and he prayed, and he said, Oh, Father, if you could take this cup from me, if you could take this away, and I didn't have to go through it, I, oh, I would appreciate that. But then he ended it like this. Not my will, but thine be done. Prayer should always be with the idea of getting God's will done rather than our own. And so it changes how we pray. It changes what's important in terms of our prayer life. And, uh, you know, I, I think of, of Peter. Um, he came to, Jesus came to his disciples and he was telling them what was going to happen, uh, Matthew 16. And I, I think it, it would have been hard for me if I was Peter because Jesus had just explained what was going on, 21 to 23 of Matthew 16. And it says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Somehow, Peter missed that last line. Even to the point of the resurrection, he hadn't gotten it. It says, but Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. 
Now listen to what Jesus said. He turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block for me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. You're not setting your sights on God's interests. It should always be the idea that we pray with God's will. And then Hebrews chapter 10, actually, uh, I believe that we need to have fellowship with other believers. We need to have those who are close to us that we can share with and grow with. Uh, Proverbs 27, 17, where it says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it says, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We stimulate one another not forsaking our own assembling together. In other words, there were people in that early church that weren't going to church anymore. They were out doing their own thing. And he says, not forsaking our assembling together. It's just the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. How do you encourage? Who do you come alongside of? Who you're spending time with? Who do you study with? I think those are all important things. There's there's a number of other things that we could add to this, but those are four that I see where we begin to promote the new spirit, that that new self. And there are three principles that we would see of a, a growing Christian. And number one is that the principle of love. You serve God, and service is another thing that will help you to grow. But let me say this, be careful of service that you aren't simply doing it because somebody says you have to or you're trying to please another person. Do it to please the Lord. That's why you do it. But the principle of love, serving God comes from that commitment, that relationship. Uh, the great commission, great commandment says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, every aspect of your life. And you know, when we serve God out of love, it changes the attitude for our serving. We have a different attitude in, in why we do the things. I, I hear so many people say, I'll get tired, I'll burn out. Well, I heard somebody said it's better to burn out than rust out. I, I don't know. But there's that aspect of when we are serving with the right heart attitude, it changes our attitude in service. Back in, uh, I want to talk about the principle of freedom. There is a freedom that we have. Romans 14, 1 to 3. Now accept the one who is weak. And, and the one who is weak, the situation was they would go to the idol temples and, uh, and people that had come out of idolatry simply could not eat meat that was already sacrificed to idols. It would hurt their conscience oftentimes. But others had wisdom. They knew that they could eat it, and it was just meat, and it was no big deal. And you know, the idol temple, they would sacrifice the animals there. And then they had a little meat market over here, from what I read, and you could go in and you could buy the best cuts of meats for about half the price. And so a lot of people that realized there wasn't a problem, even though there were Christians, would go buy it there, and so in verse four, chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, it says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, that one who can't take and eat those things, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. 
One person has faith that he made all things. He knows that they're okay, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. They were vegans. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted them. The issue is that they live unto the Lord, but you don't do anything that's going to hinder the other brother. In fact, sometimes it goes on to the principle of sacrifice. You give up things that you have the freedom to do for the benefit of the other. We get in caught up a lot of times in our freedoms, and I have these rights. And we forget that with freedom comes responsibility. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 9 through 13, deals with this same topic that we were dealing with here. But in verses 9 through 13 of 1 Corinthians 8, it says, But food will not condemn us to God. It, 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 what you eat or what you don't eat isn't a big deal. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. But take care that your liberty, this liberty of yours to eat these things that somebody else can't, the liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat all things sacrificed to idols? Now all of a sudden he has a problem. For though you're not through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined the brother for whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience, applying our freedoms but doing it to their detriment, wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble there should never be anything so great or overwhelming in my life that I can't lay it aside for the benefit of a brother. If it became so important that I have to hold on to it to the fact that my brother is led astray, then I've sinned. And so we look at that and realize there is something Important there. There also should never be anything so great and overwhelming in my life that I can't lay it aside to do the Lord's work. If God calls me to do something, and I have a job over here, an activity here, something going on here, am I willing for the sake of the Lord to lay it aside? You know, we used to talk about being called to missions or uh, being called into the ministry, but I think it's being called into a lot of different things. And do we hang on to those things so tightly that we believe are ours so that we aren't willing to let them go for the cause that what God has called us to? And it's something every one of us has to deal with. We're talking about how do I grow? How do I mature? How do I become all that God wants me to be? Now, I will tell you something. God will never ask you to do something in contradiction to the word of God. I've had people tell me that God wanted me to leave my spouse. Not unless he or she have been unfaithful or unless they're an unbeliever and they leave you. But he said, otherwise, you remain. God isn't going to ask you to do that, to do something else for God. 
that's just kind of an example that we don't, if, if, if the Bible tells us what to do, we remain true to it. And so as, as we finish this series this morning, uh, worship team can go ahead and come up. Uh, I think there's a point where we have to ask ourselves, where is my commitment to Jesus Christ? Has the old man kind of taken over and is dominating? Are there areas in my life that I know that I'm not walking as he would have me to walk? And uh, I need to just stop and say, Lord, I know I'm a Christian. I know I've accepted Jesus Christ. I know I've got that, that new man in me, but boy, I keep feeding the old one. And I need to make a recommitment. I need to say, Lord, today, if, if you would have me lay aside whatever I'm doing or whatever seems so important and, and you want my commitment that I'd be willing to do that, even though you may not have called me to anything. I know that this time I've been holding on to it so tight. I'm willing to make that commitment to you and just say, here I am, Lord. I want that new man to control my life, not the old man. And I want to walk in accordance with your will and according to your word in obedience, in prayer, and let you make a difference in my life. I'm going to ask the team to go ahead. I, I'm not sure what song they were going to sing in closing. But uh, I'm going to pray. And then if you'd just like to come up and sit down on the chairs in front before the, the cross. We've been through this series on Bible basics. And you just want to make a refreshed commitment to God in terms of your life and where you are. And you know that maybe there's some issues you're dealing with. Or maybe you just haven't been that committed. You've just been caught up with everything else in the world. And you need to do that today. I'm going to invite you just to come and sit at the chair or kneel here by the stage or whatever the cross is in front of you and just, you know, go before the Lord and uh, make that commitment to him. But I think that's important that we do that sometimes. We just refresh the relationship. So uh, uh, let me pray, and then they'll play in as they're playing. If you'd like to come um, and pray, I would encourage you to do that. Let's bow, shall we? Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just work in our lives today. We've, we've looked at the whole idea that God exists, that he created everything. The creation wouldn't be here without him. We looked at the reliability of the word of God, that, that we can put our faith and trust in the word. We saw that because of Adam and Eve, they sinned, and sin entered the world. It entered humanity, Father. And it affects every one of us. But you made a way, Father, coming through Abraham and David and on down in the line. And Jesus came into the world, the God-man, without sin. And he went to the cross for us. And he died for us. And you made provision so that when we come to you by faith, by your grace, we can have eternal life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to me but through you. But, Father, I also realize that once we are Christians, we still struggle with the old man in our lives. It'd be great if he just wasn't there because then we'd live our lives exactly the way you want. But, Father, there is that battle going on inside of each one of us. And we know we can see those areas where we have fallen and we've faltered. And we just keep seeming to go back there, Father, just like Paul. He said, I, things I do, I, I, I don't want to do them, and yet I do them over and over. And 
I don't know about the people here, but I see it in my life at times. And so, Father, there's that point where we just need to come back and say we want your Holy Spirit to guide and direct our lives. We want the new man to be evident within us. We want to live a life that's pleasing and honor to you. And, and so right now today, we just make a commitment, a personal commitment to follow after you. To be renewed in our faith and walk in the manner that you would have us to walk, bearing fruit according to your will, growing in the knowledge and the wisdom of who you are. Father, I, I don't know who's here. I don't know what they're feeling. I don't know what their emotions are. I don't know what's going on in their lives right now. But if there are those who need to make that recommitment in their own heart, being willing to stand up and come to the front, not worry about anybody else thinks, Father, but really making it a public thing, but a private thing in terms of their prayer here, I pray that you would lay it on their hearts to do that. Thank you, Father. You're an awesome God. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son to die, but thank you for loving us so much that you help us to grow. And someday we'll be with you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.